0: What's up citizens of Apologia? This is King Ginger and I just wanted to take a moment to encourage you all to sign up for Apologia All Access. When you sign up for Apologia All Access you're going to get exclusive on-demand content. This means that you and your entire family are going to get to watch every single TV show, every single after show, and every single Apologia Academy with new content dropping every single week. But Most importantly, your contribution helps Apologia Studios create quality Christ-centered entertainment that reaches millions of people on our YouTube channels and through our podcast with the gospel. So what are you waiting for? Change everything at ApologiaRadio.com The
1: non-rockabotus must stop I don't want to rock the boat. I want to sink it.
2: Are you going to bark all day, little doggy? Or are you going to bite? Brett, You're delusional. The, yeah, the, I love you, uh, Delusional. Jet delusional yeah. is okay in your worldview. I'm an animal. You don't chastise chickens for being delusional. You don't chastise pigs for being delusional. So you calling me delusional using your worldview is perfectly okay. It doesn't really hurt. <laughs> she hung up on me. <laughs> <laughs> oh what? What?
3: Desperate times call for faithful men, and not for careful men. The careful men come later and write the biographies of the faithful men, lauding them for their courage.
4: Go into all the world and make disciples. Not go into the world and make buddies. Not to make brosives. Right. Don't go into the world and make homies. Right. Disciples.
2: I, yeah. got, I got a bit of a
5: jiggle neck. <laughs> That's a joke, pastor. When we have the real message of truth. We cannot let somebody say they're speaking truth when they're not.
2: What's up, y'all? Welcome back to the Gospel Heard Around the World. Hashtag... Change everything, right, Marcus Pittman? Hashtag change everything. Shouldn't it be change everything? Everything. 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 That's the bear. What up? That's King Ginger. Hey. No G-Lo today, huh? the ones and twos? (laughs) Nah, it's Tuesday. Okay, and we also have the voice, Nostradamus Jerry Roberts. What's up, brother? Welcome to the show. My nostrils are here to flare for a little bit. That's right. Amen, amen. All right, guys, here we go. Right into the show today. Big things are afoot. Like that? Big things are afoot, and I say it's this year is an election year. Oh, that was a Bigfoot joke. Yeah. <laughs> okay, I got it. I got it. Uh, it's an election year, which means it's an awesome opportunity to speak into the culture about the word of God, about Jesus, about his good news, about his authority. And it really is a perfect time. Because if you think about it, the world right now, thats well, it's, okay, that's a broad term. America right now is trying to elect their next Messiah. Only there already <laughs> is one. <laughs> That's right? so true. That's yeah, yeah. yeah. no. That's right. Every four Shnam. years, we're looking to elect that new Messiah. We think that by electing this new Messiah, the world will change. We'll get into the utopia that we're all looking for. We're trying to find that ultimate standard we can follow. We're trying to find the man that will save the world. Or even in this election, the woman. No. Who will save the world. I hope not. And God help us. puts us in a particularly awesome position as Christians to speak with authority. With grace, with humility, with boldness into the culture about Jesus. Yeah. About salvation, about God's word. Because every single thing that's being talked about right now on the news, on your radio stations, FM and AM, on Fox News, CNN, MSNBC, and all that, everything, every podcast, Her thing. political, is talking about the election right now. And it's kind of a big deal. So it's a great opportunity... Not to be partisan, as we've been talking about the last couple of weeks, but to be Christian. Because every single thing that's being talked about, whether it be abortion, whether it be welfare, whether it be uh, foreign intervention, whether it be wars, every single thing is something that will ultimately point to fallenness, to sin, to repentance and faith. Jerry, you got something you want to say? Oh, I was going to say, I, I thought we we're supposed to only focus on...
6: Jesus and the gospel. Now I'm not getting involved in politics. You're you're saying that you
0: saying there's something more? We're saying the gospel changes hashtag everything. Hashtag everything. My goodness.
2: <laughs> it's the gospel of the kingdom, y'all. And which means <laughs> that Jesus is the king. He has something to say in every single area of life. Um so as Dr. Joseph Boot would say in his book, uh Mission of God. We oh, don't want wait, that's that's that's, boot. Joe boot, boot. I don't know who that is. Uh amazing man. Well he actually it was our interview we did with him in Canada, yeah. eh? Uh, He said we need to stop believing in a truncated gospel. We have a gospel that is all-encompassing, fully transforming, and though we're sinners and we fall short of it every single day, uh, God is the standard, God is the Redeemer, He's the Savior, and He changes everything. Hashtag change Change everything. everything. All right, so speaking of changing everything, uh, we have a special guest right now. Actually, right now via Skype. His name is Michael. Michael. And uh, he works for the Young Conservatives website. Michael uh, is right on the same wavelength as us. Would I, would I be correct in saying that, Michael?
6: Absolutely. 100%. Okay.
2: 100%. So you believe that Jesus is King of Kings? Can I get an Absolutely. amen? Okay. Amen. You believe uh, salvation is <laughs> by grace through faith alone in Christ alone? Amen. Amen. And you believe that Jesus has something to say in the political process today? every area of life. Good. Okay. Well, you are now welcome to welcome. the show. That was our screening process. That's a, that's a <laughs> <laughs> All right. Hey, Michael, uh, tell us who you are. Tell us what you do. And uh, let's get right into the discussion right now uh, about the Iowa caucus. And it's a fun word to say, but what in the heck does it mean? So tell us about yourself, what you do. And we'll talk about the Iowa caucus.
6: Awesome. Uh, well, my name is Michael Cantrell. I've been a writer at Young Conservatives for. About a year and a half now, um, but doing the political writing thing for about two years total. I was previously into blogging before that for businesses, um, so decided to switch up uh, primarily to tackle the abortion issue. Actually, that was something that's been a, a big passion for me and my wife both. And um, that kind of led into just a, a really deep study of politics. And it kind of disturbed me to see that there wasn't a whole lot of Christian presence in politics at the moment. And, you know, that kind of seems strange to me because, you know, we're supposed to take the gospel out into the whole world. And, I, you know, I, I don't see how if a gospel can transform your life, how it can't transform the culture that God has placed you in. Amen. And so, you know, I've, I, I wanted to go out and do something about that and be that voice out there. So I kind of took on a little uh, apprenticeship kind of deal. And then one thing
2: led to another and here I am amazing so what is it like writing for young conservatives you're a christian that's a pretty big big deal it is like, a, big the website's deal. a big
0: deal it yeah. is a big
2: deal so what's it like writing for them and and uh, i mean how do you do it i mean uh, do you have to let go of some of your convictions in order to do it or are you are you able to uh, are you able to just give it full blast uh you know what do you do to to be wise as you handle that responsibility that god has given to you
6: well, I have been extremely blessed with uh, being able to work at Young Conservatives because the owner, uh, Joshua Riddle, and his partner Dave, uh, they are both diehard Christians. So they encourage me to share the gospel, awesome. uh, to to be brutal with it when it's needed, oh, and yeah, to good. you know uh, just really call things out as I as I see them. I've never really you know had to give up any of my convictions or be censored in any sort of way. Uh, I've had some pieces uh, where I kind of went after Rebecca Watson for some of her remarks on abortion and that, that was a big, uh, big deal. Got a lot of hate mail for that one, but yeah, we did We did too. We they, did too. Good. What kind of, what'd you say to her? <laughs> uh,
5: <laughs> what'd you, what'd you say?
6: What'd you say? Something along the lines of, uh, you know, that's murder and for you to support something like something like that is pretty disgusting. Mm. And, uh, I, I was, I was pretty rough. I'm a rough <clears> kind of guy. Uh, Sometimes I'm a, uh, a little bit too sarcastic, I guess, for some people's tastes. Sometimes a serrated edge
2: is necessary, brother. It's okay. I, no, no, I, <laughs> yeah. actually, no, no, yeah. this is actually a good point to make, and I'm going to hear what you have to say. Arrogance um, is, um, is, is, is when you act in such a way as you believe that you're right, but you only believe that you're right apart from the foundation of the Word of God. So that would be arrogant. So, so for example, if you come against somebody and you put them on blast, right? And it's and you just think you're right, but it's apart from the scriptures. I, I'm I'm right. I'm right. Apart from the scriptures, that's arrogance. But it's not arrogance when you stand on the word of God as a rock and you come against somebody with flaming arrows. Amen. Okay. Amen. All right. Okay. Please continue, sir.
6: Yeah. So that that was uh quite an experience. I get a lot of hate mail, um, which is you know to be expected. A being conservative, and, you know, in this political climate, regardless, is going to get you hate mail. But being a pro life Christian who quite frequently in your work, talks about the gospel, talks about how political solutions aren't going to be enough, that it takes the gospel to transform culture and people's lives, that electing one man is not going to solve the problem, that it takes Christians moving into culture and taking that gospel forward and you know, being obedient to God's law is not a popular message. <laughs> so that, that generates quite a bit of uh, heated discussion. I get a lot of stuff on Twitter but um, I usually try to use that as an opportunity rather than you know get upset about it because you know I don't see these people face to face I don't know them so to take it personal seems kind of silly so I just try to right. use it as an opportunity to reach out I'd say that's probably the most challenging part of working for them because it's something around like twenty four million people a month is what reads my work so wow uh, you know it's it's terrifying every day to put out so much work and know that that many people a month are checking it out. But I feel just really blessed to be in an atmosphere where I can share my faith openly without reserve and, you know, give people the truth. And I had one uh, article that was around the time of the uh, Dylan Roof shooting um, where I shared the gospel, I mean, really explicitly. And it got like eight million views in a couple of days. So, I mean, that was just like really incredible.
2: You have an amazing opportunity, brother, to reach a lot of people. Praise God. Um, Okay. So help us to understand caucus. It's fun to say, but what is it?
6: Well, the Iowa caucus is really complicated, actually. Uh, This is something that me and my wife have been really studying up on the last couple of weeks, getting prepared for this. And it's it's really a strange process because it's not like an average primary. Um, You know, when we go vote for a primary here in Ohio, where I'm from, we just go out and vote and that's it. I mean, we just go cast our ballot and go home. But for the Iowa caucus, it's different. Uh, people come at a certain time and uh, usually are either a representative from each campaign or sometimes the candidate themselves gives a little speech to try to persuade people. And um, rather than go just by popular vote, it's by delegate. So it's like so many votes equals so many delegates. Yeah. And for, for the Republicans, for the GOP, it's uh, you get a secret ballot. But for the Democrats, They do something that's very much groupthink, which is in line with their worldview and ideology. Uh, So, yeah, I mean, they they get together in rooms and then they form lines based on who they're going to support. So like last night. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. Last night I was watching the coverage and they had one room set up where there was a line of people sitting down who were for Hillary Clinton. And the other side was for uh, Bernie Sanders. And so like I mean these people are looking at was each there other. there a line for
4: O'Malley too. There was he only got one vote, man. I know.
6: Yeah. <laughs> it was a joke. Yeah, that, that was embarrassing. <laughs> and that one guy, that's, that's O'Malley. It was He's just O'Malley. auditioning sorry, for vice sorry, president. Ahead. So like what's really strange about that is they will try to convince each other to come over to the other line. So like they're having this big argument and dialogue and sometimes it gets really heated rather than just allowing people to cast their, you know, their vote in secret and then just letting it fall where it where it Mm -hmm. lies you know they're trying to persuade each other over into these other lines so like last night you had all the young people for Bernie Sanders which just you know attests to the indoctrination going on in our public schools right now Uh, and then you had the other side for Hillary Clinton which was made up of you know older people and so like here they are arguing with each other to try to get them to come over to their side so it's like really really weird how they do that like they try to shame people into coming over to their (laughs) side and typical leftist stuff it's like a big game of Red Rover. Yeah. Yeah. It's quite ridiculous. Red actually. Rover, Red
4: Rover, send blue cheeks on over.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. yeah. You knew the blue cheeks, right? The guy the guy that was standing behind Hillary Clinton with the with the blue stickers on his face making the faces. Did you see that? Ed Hillary? Yeah. yeah, okay.
2: I'm glad yeah. Marcus thought it was funny. I thought I liked it. I got it. I got the blue
0: cheeks reference.
2: So in the Iowa caucuses, um, That just occurred. Ted Cruz is the GOP winner. And it says that Hillary Clinton wins the Democratic caucuses by a slim margin. However, and we'll get to all those details with Ted Cruz and everything else. Is there a controversy brewing about Hillary Clinton, whether she won or not? Are we going to be in another Florida type situation with a hanging Chad? Taking me back. Some of you don't even remember that, do you? I
0: know what he's talking about.
2: Yeah. Yep, I know what you're talking about. <laughs> so, do you know well, anything, Do you know anything about what's going on right now? I don't know if you have you seen. I've seen a lot of things coming across my social media feed just about um, uh, Hillary Clinton uh, saying that she won the, the caucus, but not all of the votes actually, and all the precincts precincts were in, and the margin that she won by with the precincts 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 precincts. Sorry. That we're um, reporting uh, was not really, you know, a win-win. So there's a question as to whether she actually won uh, yes- yesterday. Do you know anything about that? Yeah, she actually uh, managed to get ahead through
6: coin tosses. What? what? Okay. No, now, come on. Now, I, I, hold I did on see something clock. about that, so please <laughs> tell, me, tell me please about it, yes. There, there were six uh, precincts that were completely deadlocked. Oh my gosh. And they decided the best way to figure out who should be their pick for the candidate... Would be a coin toss, and she won <laughs> yeah. all six coin she tosses. She won six coin
2: tosses. Is did that? They, that's what I heard about first? the math, right? So that's what she. That's oh. like she won the Powerball last night, right? <laughs> yes, exactly. Statistically, wow. What are, what a, are the s- possibilities to win six coin tosses? Wow. Maybe it's the same.
6: Maybe it's the same coin that they used during the Cardinals-Packers game. That was an interesting coin. If anyone knows about that, that, that. uh, yeah. Yeah.
5: Jeff knows about Luke Mike. Unless we're at church.
6: Yeah. No.
4: (laughs) (laughs) Whoa. Uh, um, I actually don't know anything about it. Michael, I
0: have a question. Okay. Okay, The question is Does Iowa matter? Because, I mean, the people that have won Iowa in the past, Santorum, uh, like this, what was the guy that won, like that beat Bill Clinton in Iowa and Bill Clinton won? So, Does it really matter historically who wins Iowa?
6: Well, it it does and it doesn't. It's one of those things. The whole deal with Iowa is weird because it's basically the only reason anybody cares is because it's the first state to hold its caucus or primary, whatever you want to call it. So everybody looks at what goes on in Iowa as a litmus test for the the way the rest of the country feels. And that's not always accurate. Um, So at, at this point in time, I don't know how much I was going to matter simply because it seems like the country is in upheaval on both sides of the party line. You know, you've got the establishment being kind of overthrown and tossed to the side on the GOP side. Then you've got the socialist coming up on the other side. So it's kind of like I don't I don't know how much that's going to play into it. I think as far as Hillary and uh, Bernie are concerned, I don't think it's going to matter at all. I don't think that that says that says that Hillary Clinton's good at pulling off. Miraculous wins, maybe, but it Mm. doesn't really say anything about miraculous singing in air quotes. Yes, precisely. (laughs) (laughs) So, I mean, it it does matter because uh, most of the time through history here, the last couple of decades, no president has ever managed to win without at least having either Iowa or New Hampshire. One of those two that they have pulled off. So it it does kind of set the stage for everybody else. But again, I don't know how much that's going to play into this year because this year is just crazy with all the stuff going on thanks to, well, you know, Donald Trump and well, Bernie Sanders. Well, I was
2: just going to ask you about that. Uh, what do you know, working with young conservatives, because you, you obviously get a lot of the information, you you have to be up on the news, you're communicating with people, obviously, that are in that network so much. What do you know about Donald Trump and the, conser- the Christian, the evangelical vote going to him? I mean, what can you tell us about that? Because it... It just seems peculiar to me. I mean, our show, our church, our ministry is not about, again, petty partisan um, political pandering. That's not what we want to do. However, you know, I think it's important for us to talk about individual candidates, their worldview and what they stand for. And it it just it does surprise me that there are so many evangelical votes going to Trump. So what can you tell tell me about his current status right now?
6: Well, I mean, from, you know, I have to read through a lot of comments and dialogue with a lot of people there are a uh, significant number of Christians who seem to support Donald Trump, and it baffles my mind, given, you know, I mean, all you got to do is look at his Twitter feed and you'll see plenty of reasons not to support the guy just from that, <laughs> in my opinion. I mean, yeah, just just that alone is enough to dissuade me. So I'm not sure how, you know, these people are managing to get around that. I feel like some people are just so angry at the way uh, Christians have been treated lately, you know, with the the various kinds of, you know, the baker thing with the, the, you know, gay wedding cake and, and all this other stuff. And with obviously Obamacare and just constantly getting, you know, slammed by the president and the overall leftist culture right now that they're equating anger with conservatism and with, you know, Liberty and things like that. And it's like, this guy does not stand for Liberty just because he's angry. Um, I can be angry too <laughs> at a lot of different things. It doesn't mean that I'm a <laughs> being righteous or be a good fit to be a leader. Hey man. Um, that's, you know, really, so it's, that's really funny, actually, real quick. I was just telling
4: Marcus, I was watching the after show or whatever last night, and when, when Trump was giving his speech, I actually had an unmute at that point, and it looked like he was so angry, like he was just yelling at people, and so I was like, oh, this should be good, and I turned it on, and he was like, oh, thank you, and he was like super kind, but he looked so angry when that was actually
0: kind of like the, the most humble I've seen him. Yeah, it was. Which was weird, because yeah. it was a very short speech, and it was like you know, I thought he was gonna come out and like give a victory speech even though he lost but he, he he was kind of he seemed a little defeated for the first time yeah which is nice it was nice to see that
2: see a little bit deflated a little deflated his hair <laughs> deflated. Was,
0: his hair wasn't quite as big
2: yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's true hey uh, speaking of uh, let's, we should we should talk about this This is important people say well you know why are you dogging him why are you, why are you talking about him that way you know doesn't he represent some conservative Christian values and those sorts of things well I think it'd be good for us to play a little clip here just to kind of get some background as to why we need to be cautious as Christians and think very, very hard about worldview issues and those sorts of things. And that uh, brings me into this discussion. We posted a video last week with um, a commentary w- between, or I'd say a, a question and answer between uh, Donald Trump and uh, a reporter, a journalist, um, And uh, right now, Hey Marcus, I don't know if you knew this or not, uh, it's 129,000 views. Wow. And and, and really a matter of a couple days uh, this video had. Um, But I'll go ahead and play that for you right now. So here we go. This is the the Q&A I want you guys to hear
3: that says anyone but Trump. Effectively, they say you can't be trusted as a pro-life advocate. Well, that's okay. Give, I mean, that's give, your opinion. Look, I'm pro-life, but that's their opinion. But given and what they you want said... want to do that, hey, all I
0: can
1: tell you is this. As you know, I'm pro-life. In 1999, I've been pro-life you said, for a long time. In 1999,
3: you said you were pro-choice in all respects. And I said, what did I say? You didn't read it. Read the full statement of what I said.
1: Partial birth abortion. The eliminating of abortion in the third trimester. Big issue in Washington. Would President Trump ban partial birth abortion? Well, look, I'm, I'm very pro-choice. I hate the concept of abortion. I hate it. I hate everything it stands for. I cringe when I listen to people debating the subject. But you still, I just believe in choice. And again, it may be a little bit of a New York background, because there is some different attitude in different parts of the country and, you know, I was raised in New York and grew up and work and everything else in New York City. But I am strongly for choice, and yet I hate the concept of abortion.
3: But you would not ban it? No. Or ban partial birth abortion? No, I, would,
1: I, would, I, am, I am pro-choice in every respect and as far as it goes, but I just hate it.
3: The train- Read the full statement. No, no, you're not reading the full statement. Go ahead, get out the full statement. Read it. Tim Russert follow I know. I remember Tim Russert very well. He was a friend of mine. He so was what, a good man. Yeah, I no, no, agree. No, but read the full statement. My question is, what makes okay. no sense
1: then. Look, they're gonna, they have their choice. They can do what they have to do. I'm pro-life. They can do what they have to do. I mean, There'll be many people that will be voting for me. That I can tell you. <laughs>
6: oh. I, just, I just want to jump in and say, I love the fact at the very beginning when Trump tells him, read it in context. And the very minute he starts reading yeah. the context, he interrupts it. Yeah, yeah. That's very, that. very telling.
0: Okay, oh, so his position hasn't changed. Right. Like, he says, oh, I'm still for choice, but I'm pro-life. And then back, back then it was, oh, I'm for choice, but, I, but I'm pro-choice.
2: You see, that's the point. It's, that's not a pro-life candidate, one that says, well, I personally am pro-life, but they can do what they want. They're going to do what they want. Right. That's not someone that stands for life. That's, someone, that's not someone that's going to fight for the lives of these babies. And if you go backwards, and Michael, I, I'd like to hear your, um, your commentary on this. If you go backwards to 1999 when he's being interviewed there, he says that he fully supports choice, he's all in there, but that he hates it. Now, think about the contradiction there. I absolutely hate it, I hate the idea of it, but I, I support choice. It's the kind of mindset I think a lot of people have about abortion is that, well, it's, it's disturbing, it's icky, it's yucky, it's gross, I don't, I don't really want to think about it, but I'm, you know, I'm not going to meddle with it. People have the right to do what they want to do, and it's that kind of idea It's that kind of politics that has led us to where we're at today as a nation, where we have so many babies slaughtered every single day in this nation, and uh, there's something to say about Donald Trump having something to do with that. Um, I don't know why, by the way, in 1999, uh, people cared to ask Donald Trump his position on abortion. Um, Just because he has a lot of money doesn't mean that he has a lot to say. Uh, in my opinion. But um, now he is running for president. <laughs> People are asking him with a hypothetical, if Donald Trump was running for president, Well he's been saying, He's been
4: saying he wanted to run for president for like 20 years. Oh, has he really? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I so, didn't know that about yeah, him. Yeah,
2: there's footage of him back when yeah. he was on Oprah when she, she first started her show. Oh, I see. Okay. Well, this is, I'm learning this just for the first time. Um, okay, so Michael, your commentary on um, Donald Trump there seems to be a, a bit slippery. He was the same way, by the way, uh, in a clip of a of, we played last week about uh, marriage. Right. Remember that? He said uh, he said, you know, I'm for marriage, I think, says as so far as it goes or something like that. It was just really Mm. slippery. Michael, your commentary.
6: Well, this is the only guy I know who can say a lot and say nothing at the same time. Mm. Yeah. So so for me, I mean, he says he's pro-life, but he never articulates what is pro-life. He never goes into, you know, that discussion of saying, yes, I oppose the slaughter of the unborn I want to stand up and make sure that we do everything in our power to protect the most basic right we all have, which is the right to life. You never hear those kinds of things come out. It's always the very watery. Oh, I'm pro-life because he's just trying to reach out, right. in my opinion, to that base because he knows he can't win without them. He doesn't have a record of ever supporting any of this uh, you know, pro-life agenda. He doesn't have any... Uh, record of going out to protest or joining pro-life ministries or anything of that nature and he's not done anything to substantiate the claim that he's pro-life he just continues to say it just like he continues to say we're going to keep winning and have more of everything but what does that mean
2: yeah yeah i agree yeah absolutely okay hey t- i'd like to hear you talk about this for a second michael i'd like to have our uh, listeners just be encouraged um so you listen to Apology Radio. Yes. And uh, how has it impacted you in your ministry, in your theology? Tell us about that.
6: Well, I actually started listening to you guys uh, based off of a friend of mine from church and, and uh, their family. They were regular listeners and they kind of pointed us your direction. Where at? Where I, at what part of the country? Uh, Ohio. Ohio. Awesome. Yes. Nice. Okay, go ahead. So... I was uh, starting to check you guys out and I'd been struggling for a little while to uh, figure out exactly how to nail down some concrete solutions to the problems facing our country politically from God's word. I didn't know how to really go about looking at that. So I started studying ethics and that kind of, you know, as I was listening to you guys. Uh, You know, you I listened to some of the stuff where you guys talked about theonomy and, uh, you know, mentioned Greg Bonson and uh, Joel McDermott over at American Vision and some of these places. So I started checking out uh, that material while I was listening to you guys, uh, the podcast regularly, and we subscribe to the TV show and and everything. So as I was going through that, I started wrestling with, you know, the idea of God's law, because I came out of a a legalistic background Mm -hmm. where there was law, but no grace at all. Mm And so, you know, I struggled with having a, a really positive view of God's law. And I felt like at this time, as I was learning this truth, you know, wrestling with it, trying to reconcile all that, I, rec- I finally understood, you know, how beautiful God's law is. So it's helped me reestablish a love for God's law and to see that it is absolutely the best and only objective standard for our life Amen. and for our, you know, nation, for our culture in general and, you know, it's not being preached enough. And so I've been trying to take bits and pieces of what I'm learning and put it into different various parts of my work and, and, uh, some of the teaching that I do at my church and things like that to try to help spread that vision out a little further so people will start getting engaged, which I've seen in my own church over the past year, a lot of reformation happening where, you know, our church has started to get involved in pro life causes. There's been, uh, you know, protests that we participated in as a church where we went down and, and did things like that. And uh, it's just been really a a blessing to see that and to experience that. So it's, it's helped me in that regard with ministry and work-wise, but also for my family, it's helped me take a, a, a more, I guess, deep look at how to minister to my family, how to raise my kids in accordance to God's word and, and to trust him to, Provide for us in every way and hopefully, you know, through the grace of God and the gospel, you know, reach my children. That's incredible. Awesome.
2: Awesome, brother. Okay, tell people where they can go to get your stuff and uh keep updated up, updated with everything you're doing.
6: All right. Well, uh most of my work is done over at Young
2: Conservatives. Uh, so
6: that's youngcons.com. And uh I'm on uh, Twitter too. It's uh, at sank rebel as uh, short for sanctified rebellion. And that's another website that I uh, currently do some stuff for as well. sanctifiedrebellion.com. So that's where you can find me
2: at. All right, brother. Well, thanks so much, man, for all that you do for the kingdom, for Christ. And, uh, it, it, it you what you're doing right now is exactly the sort of thing that we had hoped would happen, uh, yeah. as a result of people really taking in what this ministry has to offer. We hope that people would begin to engage the culture with the Word of God and really get out of the ghetto and to get into the fight. And so thats it's just such an encouragement for us just to know that God has used this ministry to bless your life and that you're actually now uh, on the field fighting. And uh, that's a huge blessing. It's a gift to us, brother. So thank you for what you're doing. Yes, thank you so much. Appreciate it. All right. All right, brother, we'll talk to you soon. And I'd uh, like to keep you on on a regular basis just to get us uh, yeah. updates as to what's up uh, in the uh, election process. You're, you're like
0: Apologia's Frank Luntz, man.
2: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. I, I can live with that. All right. All right, brother. Thanks so much. We'll talk to you soon. All right, guys. Apologia Radio. Get us at ApologiaRadio.com. If you haven't done so, go check out some past episodes. ApologiaRadio.com. Sign up for all access, too, man. Sign up for all access. You
0: see how it benefits people. That's yeah. Where, that was awesome. Change was everything.
2: Awesome. Hashtag change everything. Even politics. Even politics. Yep. With the Word of God. Praise God, man. That's great stuff. All right. So, we'll be right back, guys, with Nostradamus, King Ginger the Bear, and myself. We're going to do some more. We're going to tell you about uh, the Word of God, the transmission of the text of the Bible, where we got our Bibles from. We're going to do it by way of listening to a debate between Bart Ehrman and Daniel Wallace you know, I'd like to get Daniel Wallace out from his cave and onto our show. i got to email him back. Yeah. He's a tough guy to get, but we will catch him. We're yes. going to get that cat. All right. Sweet. So be right back, guys.
3: ApologyRadio.com. Hi, this is Warner with Apology Radio. I want to ask for y'all good friends of ours to go on and click that button there and become my friends on the book face. Uh, Facebook backslash Apology Radio. Become my friend on YouTube. That there t- uh, twerker. The twerker I want to I talk to you on the twerking. And send me out a twerk. What? 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 Twitter. Apology Radio on Twitter. I also want to tell you, we talk about apologetics and theology, and we do a lot of swing dancing, and we make a delicious chicken grain. ApologetRadio.com.
0: Ladies and gentlemen, beauties and beasts, I have some good news for you. But in order for me to tell you the good news, I must share with you the bad. A beard can be a most magnificent thing, but it can also be the downfall of a man. An unmaintained beard prevents a face from shining. An unmaintained beard causes dry, itchy skin. An unmaintained beard is a source of beard drift. You know, like dandruff, but beard drift. An unmaintained beard is sharp and ruthless, like iron bristles. Not good for the lady friend. An unmaintained beard forfeits future growth based on the lack of preparation today. And let's not forget that an unmaintained beard robs your face from smelling amazing. Let not thy beard be thy downfall. Protect your manlyhood. An epic combination of manliness and manhood. If you are hearing this today, there is hope for your beard. Go to ucosbeard.com and enter the code APOLOGIA and you can save some money while you save your face. Hey,
2: Margus. Yeah? While I do this discussion, can you pull up some uh, comments from our listeners who are all access? I can. Yes. Yeah. All right, guys. So there's a couple things, like foundational things that we want to be a part of uh, as a ministry to 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 equip you, to encourage you. So there's some like foundational, like theological things that we stand on, and we say these these are like safeguards for the gospel. These are safeguards for uh, ethics and morality and culture, those sorts of things. So like some of the things that we love to herald all the time, we love to herald the goodness of Jesus Christ and his gospel, salvation by grace through faith alone in him. Justification by faith in Christ alone is something you're going to hear a lot on this show. We're also big into reformed theology. Um, We think that reformed theology is the clearest expression of the biblical faith that has existed in history. It's orthodox. We think it goes back to the first century, the New Testament church. We're always a church that is reforming and always reforming. But we think the Reformed faith is the clearest distillation of the biblical faith that there is in church history. Um, We want to be humble about that. We don't want to be arrogant. We say that's by the grace of God. It's the work of the Holy Spirit of God in history. So Reformed theology, that is the doctrines of grace, covenant theology, the pillars of the Reformation, sola, Fide, Sola Gratia, Solus Christus, uh, Soli Deo Gloria, um, Sola Scriptura, all those things. We want to herald those things on this this broadcast. Those are essential things, we think, of the faith. And so uh, we love those things. We also are big into the victory of Jesus in history. We, we believe in what we would call an ancient Jewish eschatology we think that it is ultimately founded in Scripture. was the expectation that the Messiah would come and have victory over the entire world by his gospel. That Abraham would truly have descendants as numerous as the stars. That that's a very meaningful promise. And we just think that Jesus wins in history, not just at the end. Amen. And so we're big on that. And we want to live according to that. Um, We're also big on apologetics, the defense of the faith. God calls us in 1 Peter 3.15 to always be ready with an apologia, uh, with an apologetic, uh, a reasoned defense for our faith to anyone who asks us for the hope that's within us. And so we're big into apologetics. We love it. And in that vein, aside from the cultural issues, oh, by the way, I I missed one. Oh, We love love the law of God. Uh, That's something you're going to hear a lot about on the show as well, the law of God. We love the law of God. We believe that the law of God was, uh, was a constituent element of the promises in our new covenant, not that the law would save us, but that in Jeremiah 31, 31, that God would put the law within us and that he would put it on our inward parts. We'd be internally motivated to love God's law. Ezekiel 36, with a new heart and God's spirit within us, we would be caused by God to obey his mm. statutes. And so we just think that when God saves you, he gives you a new heart, he gives you a new life, he raises you up, he causes you to love his law. And uh, so we love the law of God. And uh, and so we, we herald it. We, we point to it as God's standard, His righteous standards. Uh, but in the vein of apologetics, we thought today we would fill you up with a pretty good discussion about the transmitted text of the New Testament. Now, this is a big one. It, it really, really is. This is a big one. Um, because today on Dem Internets, yeah. uh, you have a lot of radical skepticism and you have a lot of claims made by uh, bloggers, internet skeptics, internet atheists about the transmission of the text of the Bible. And oftentimes, many of those comments that are made on the online are not comments that can be really truly backed up by facts and a clear thinking process through the evidence, those sort of things. There's a lot of presuppositions involved, a right. lot of pre-commitments involved there. But a lot of the discussions, typically today... Land on a particular person, Dr. Bart Ehrman. And um, whether you say Ehrman or Ehrman, he is. Tomato tomato. tomato, tomato. He is the man that a lot of people go to today for their information. Uh, misquoting Jesus, popular book. He's been on The Daily Show, I believe. He's Muslims been love him. Stephen Colbert. I was going to say it's
4: not just atheists.
2: Yeah, that's right. Mo- Muslims love him. Um, Mormons. Mormons. Anybody that wants to attack the integrity of the Bible today, is, is. going to go to Bart Ehrman uh, Dr. White debated Bart Ehrman, I think really surprised Ehrman, I think he really thought he was going to go into that debate with just this insignificant Christian apologist who knew nothing, and I think Dr. White handled him well um, but, but here, here's the thing there is an awesome debate that you just must see you just really need to take the time to see because it is such a blessing and it's so instructive and that is a debate between Daniel Wallace, New Testament textual critical scholar at um, Dallas Theological Seminary. Is that still current? I, th- I believe so, yeah. Okay, at least at one, point, at one time he was. He's just an amazing man. And uh, Bart Ehrman, they debate one another. They've done it numerous times, I believe over 20 years. So they have sort of a friendship going. But man, this debate you got to listen to. This is a debate. Uh, is the original New Testament lost? Uh, it's epic. This is actually the, the debate where... Daniel Wallace announced um, the new finds that we had in the green collection of uh, Mark and Luke and something else. Uh, My mind's not completely intact this morning. Not a lot of sleep. Uh, But Luke and Mark, I think, is what he describes. This is where he dropped that bomb and let everybody know that we've discovered some new manuscripts that, that date from probably the first century itself. So I wanted to play it for you because we'd like to be a one-stop shop at Apologia Radio for all things cultural, uh, all things news, all things theology and apologetics and fun. (laughs) So that's what we like to do. So we want to make sure that every episode we do, we give you some sort of a theological equipping and training and that's kind of what this is today. We're going to talk about this particular portion. Uh, Very excited for you to hear it. I believe this is the first time we've actually played it on Apologia Radio, uh, which I think the reason we didn't, Luke, Is because we were waiting to get Dan Wallace on himself to talk about it. And he's a hard guy to chase. He is. He is. But we will work on that. We'll see if Marcus can maybe work his magic. Okay. Or one of our homeschool woodpeckers. We'll make it happen. I have his email. Yeah. I'll make it happen. Give me the email. All right. uh, So here we go. So let's go ahead and have uh, that played for us right now. This is Daniel Wallace uh, versus Bart Ehrman on Is the Original New Testament Lost? And this is from the opening statement. This is Dr. Dan Wallace.
1: Now, there's four questions that I want to address tonight. First of all, how many scribal changes are there? What kinds of textual variants do we have? What theological beliefs depend on textually suspect passages? And finally, the bottom line, is the original New Testament lost? Well, I want to begin, with, then, with the number of the variants. Let's begin with a definition of a textual variant. If any place among the manuscripts in which there is variation in wording, including word order, omission, or addition of words, even spelling differences, the most trivial changes count. And even when all the manuscripts except one say the same thing, that lone manuscript's reading counts as a textual variant. And if a thousand manuscripts read Jesus in one place, and another thousand read instead Christ, that also counts as only one variant. The best estimate is that there are between 300,000 and 400,000 textual variants among the manuscripts. I'm inclined towards the higher number. And yet, there are only about 140,000 words in the New Testament. Now, if this were the only piece of data we had, it would discourage anyone from attempting to recover the wording of the originals. But that's not the whole story. The reason that we have a lot of variants is that we have a lot of manuscripts. It's simple, really. No classical Greek or Latin text has nearly as many variants because they do not have nearly as many manuscripts. If there were only one copy of the New Testament in existence, it would have zero variants. Yet several ancient authors have only one copy of their writing still in existence. And sometimes that lone copy is not produced for a millennium or more.
2: Go ahead and pause there, Marcus, real fast. I think that's an important element for everyone to understand about the transmission of the text of the bible this is big so i want you guys to try to remember these facts these are important and by the way just i want to make this uh very very clear these facts don't change the mind of the unbeliever right these are just things that you ought to know as a christian um christians ought to have a higher standard of thinking and we should know our bibles we should know where they come from we should know about textual critical issues at least on a basic level um, again, what's going to change somebody's mind, who's the skeptic, who's the critic of the Bible, who's the unbeliever, the agnostic, the militant atheist, is ultimately the Holy Spirit of God opening their eyes and changing their heart. That's the, that's the truth for any one of us before God. That's, that's the winning shot. But, but you need to know this stuff. First and foremost, it's Jesus who says in Matthew 24, Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. Now take that in. It's not the first time God's promised to preserve his word. It says in the Bible, forever, O Lord, your word is firmly fixed in the heavens. The famous one from the book of Isaiah says, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. That's what the Bible teaches about God preserving his word. And lo and behold, Jesus comes along as Messiah and he says exactly the same thing. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass Mm -hmm. away. That's a promise from God. And that ought to be the hope and security that you really hold on to there as God promises to preserve His Word. However, that is not all that we have. We do not simply have the promises of God. You have history itself declaring the glory of God and giving Him the praise for His covenant keeping and His promise keeping. Because what do you have in history? You have, of the New Testament documents, over 5,600 manuscript pieces and copies in our New Testament documents and when you, what, what Wallace is talking about here is when you compare that to the average work of antiquity, you begin to see that it dwarfs in comparison anything else. It is fantastic. It is huge. It's significant. The next thing Wallace brings up here is he talks about the fact that you have a space of time between the, these average works and their next copy of sometimes a millennia. That, that's a thousand years But the New Testament documents, not only do you have so many, but you have them early on in composition. Copies being made in the 1st century, 2nd century, Mm 3rd century. And you have these copies extant today. In other words, they're existent today. You can look at them today. You can hold on to them today. You don't see that in other works of antiquity. And so let's continue to play more from Dr. Wallace.
1: Late manuscript would hardly give us confidence that that single manuscript... Duplicated the wording of the original in every respect. This was recognized 300 years ago by the brilliant textual scholar Richard Bentley in his work Remarks upon a Discourse of Free Thinking. Now Bentley was commenting on John Mill's work of 1707 that Bart had mentioned, where he discovered the 30,000 variants after collating 100 New Testament manuscripts. And Bentley sees this as a very positive thing for helping us to get back to the original. If there had been but one manuscript of the Greek Testament at the Restoration of Learning about two centuries ago, then we would have had no various readings at all. And would the text be in a better position then than now that we have 30,000 variant readings? It's good, therefore, to have more anchors than one, and another manuscript to to join the first would give more authority as well as security. Bentley penned those comments in 1713 when only 100 New Testament manuscripts had been examined. Today, in Greek alone, we have more than 5,600 manuscripts. Many of these are fragmentary, especially the older ones. But the average Greek New Testament manuscript is over 450 pages long. Altogether, there are more than 2.5 million pages of text, leaving hundreds of witnesses for every book of the New Testament. And Bentley was right. The Greek New Testament of his day has about 5,000 differences, from the critically reconstructed Greek New Testament of today as more and more manuscripts have come to light we are getting closer and closer to the wording of the original because of the early Christians desire to spread the good news about Jesus death and resurrection the new testament was early on translated into a variety of languages latin coptic syriac georgian gothic Eti- ethiopic armenian old church slavonic and a host of others There are about ten thousand Latin manuscripts of the New Testament alone. No one really knows the total number of these ancient translations, but the best estimates are that there are more than five thousand, plus the ten thousand in Latin. All together, including Greek, we have at least twenty thousand manuscripts of the New Testament in various languages. Now, if someone
2: were to so pause that for pause that for a moment. This is an important element he's getting to next. Um, if you take the copies that we have in the original Greek language, so in other words, if you, if you can put this together in your mind, you have the autographa, you have the original writing, say that Paul wrote, or Matthew wrote, or Peter wrote, correct? Now that right. is being handed on by Christians, or handed down to Christians through the centuries, through the decades. Christians are making copies, you have Christians... Um, uh, in Galatia making copies, uh, Christians in Rome, you have Christians all over the Roman Empire making copies, and they're not doing it under any kind of authority. You've know, you got to capture that. There is no guiding, governing authority that's controlling all of this transmitted text. It is just Christians... <laughs> making copies for themselves, for their churches, of the text of God's word. Okay? So you got to capture that. Then those texts in the Greek are then being translated into other languages like Latin, like Ethiopian, like Syriac. Did he say Armenian, he said? No, not Armenian. Did he say Armenian? He said Armenian. Armenian. Oh, oh, yes, Armenian. Um, and so you have the, the texts themselves, the copies, and copies and copies and copies that move their way through time that originated from the autographer. You've got those that are translated into other languages. Now watch this. This is really important. When somebody says a New Testament text is lost, well, that's just absurd. Not only can we get back to the autographer by working our way through the transmitted tradition, the text itself, and, and even with all of the um, uh, differences in, in, in spelling, even with all the, uh, the the changes in the text that can't even be translated into English, uh, like the movable new and all these different things. Um, you've got the text itself. We can wade through to get to the original writings. What did it actually say? But here's what Wallace gets to next. Important point is without the text itself, without the original Greek, without the Latin, without the Ethiopian, listen to what, we, what, what else we have.
0: Oh, that you want me to play it? Yeah. That, that was, a, that was a, supposed to be me. Yeah. Okay. All
1: right. And that's because leaders of the ancient church, known as church fathers, wrote commentaries on the New Testament, and they did not have the gift of brevity. To date, approximately one million quotations of the New Testament by the fathers have been recorded. If all other sources for our knowledge of the text of the New Testament were destroyed, the patristic quotations, going back to the 2nd century, and in some cases even the 1st, would be sufficient alone for the reconstruction of practically the entire New Testament," wrote Bruce Metzger and Bart Ehrman. Far more important than the numbers is the date of the manuscripts. How many manuscripts do we have in the first century after the completion of the New Testament? How many in the second, the third? Although the numbers are significantly lower, they are still rather impressive. Last October, when Bart and I had a debate in Dallas, I said that we have today as many as a dozen manuscripts from the 2nd century, all fragmentary, 64 from the 3rd, and 48 from the 4th. That's a total of 124 manuscripts within 300 years of the composition of the New Testament. Most of these are fragmentary, but collectively the whole New Testament is found in these manuscripts, and several books are found in them multiple times. That's what I said last October. those numbers now need to be revised significantly in light of some recent findings. And I'll come back to these at the end of the lecture.
2: How does the average classical... Now this, pause for for a moment. This is where it gets really interesting. What what you need to recognize is, say you're having a conversation with an atheist, an agnostic, a skeptic, and they're criticizing the text of the Bible, the transmission of the text of the Bible. Now oftentimes, in my own personal experience, when you talk to somebody that's criticizing the text of the New Testament they have no frame of reference it's just it's just kind of a blind attack it's just you know you don't know uh, that you have what they actually wrote down they never actually study this themselves and so they oftentimes won't have the frame of reference that mm-hmm. you might have and the information that you might have so a lot of it comes down to number 1 calling into repentance and faith first and foremost recognizing what the foundational problem is but a lot of it comes down to instructing them, sort of like letting them know, like, well, here's what really is, is taking place in history. But let's say you have somebody who actually attacks the transmitted text of the Bible. Well, what you do need to show them is that if you attack the text of the Bible, then you have to now say you can't know anything about history. Mm-hmm. Because if you compare what we have for the New Testament alone with other works of antiquity, it dwarfs it. I mean, it, it literally beats it by a mile. And that's what uh, Daniel Wallace is going to come up with right here, is talking about the transmitted text itself. How much do we have in comparison to other classical works? So here we go. So real quick, before we play that, just so
0: I'm caught up, because I really don't know anything hardly about textual criticism. So essentially what he's saying is because there's so much old pieces of the Bible that we can make a case for what the Bible actually said
2: so, okay, so it works, it, it, in a sense, when you have so many ancient texts, you have early attestation to what the autographer actually said, okay? And when scribes made errors in early copies, those epor, those, those errors uh, showed tenacity. They stayed in the text, and so you, you can see the text is tenacious, it has tenacity, it's, it, it remains um, uh, in the text over a period of time. So what you do is you wade through all those texts, thousands and thousands of copies, and you begin to look and you see that we can get back to what the autographer says, yes, based upon all those ancient texts. We have a New Testament witness that is whole, that is pure, and I'm grateful for the fact that there was no governing authority who was in control hmm. of this transmitted text. It is so many texts with so many different authors and flavors that are early on and, and moving their way up to us today, that because we have so many texts and so many textual variants, by the way, uh, with uh, copyist errors, with spelling right. mistakes, with a repetition of a line, we're able to say, oh, that's, that's easy to see. That one wasn't in the original because that's an earlier uh, writing or copy and all the other earlier ones don't have that extra line in it. So that older one, obviously... Is an extra text, so we can throw that out. We know that that particular text was added in later. In other words, we can get back to the originals by the mass of tradition that we have, the text that we have. Does that help?
0: It helps. Okay. Thank you. Yeah. Pastor?
1: Comparing the same period of time, 300 years after the composition of the book, the average classical author has no literary remains, not a single manuscript, none, zero. But if we compare all the manuscripts of a particular classical author, regardless of when they were written, the total would still average less than 20, and usually less than a dozen. And they would all be coming much more than three centuries later. Stack them up, and they're about four feet high. Now, how high would the um, stack of New Testament manuscripts be? Well, let's take a look. That's probably not high enough. Bart, I think, said it went to the ceiling of the auditorium. It certainly would go that
2: high. I now, I know you guys can't see it. Keep going. I know you guys can't see the graphic. watching online, but you need to listen to the next part right here. That's even better.
1: And that's as much as I could do in PowerPoint.
2: It, it
0: looks like uh, a graph of how much money... Uh, the united states is in debt like if you see that like it looks like just stacks and stacks okay
4: yeah did you notice listening sorry it seemed like the higher his his illustration got the higher the buzz got
2: (laughs) (laughs) yeah whoever did the audio for this debate uh needs a hand smacking it wasn't me there should be eight times as many new testament manuscripts
1: as you see here and you put them in one stack and they're over a mile high
2: get that now, pause there for a second. If, if, you, if you take the New Testament transmitted text, the tradition we have for the New Testament documents in history, and you stack them one on top of the other, it's over a mile deep. Wow. You catch that? How, I, I actually have a lot of respect for these textual critical scholars because the fact that they can wade through, no doubt. that is insane. If you took every book I have on my shelf right now, and I got a lot of books. If you took every book I have on my shelf right now, it would not be anywhere near a mile deep. And that's the books I have on my shelf. And I have a lot of books. And being able to wade through the text of all those books would be, it would be impossible. It would seem impossible. Mm-hmm. And these textual critical, critical scholars will work through the transmitted text that's been given to us and work through the different copyist errors. And they're able to work through this. It's amazing. It's amazing. And one of the things that makes. Um, our case so strong for God preserving his word is just the mass of that transmitted text um, in different languages, in the original um, language itself, in Koine Greek. It's just fantastic. It really is, is an amazing thing. But I love, this is funny, I wanted you to hear his next part. How Dr. Wallace actually explains this on a level that people can understand is pretty awesome. I think uh, I, he's at Chapel Hill during this debate. And I guess Chapel Hill has a huge rivalry with Duke University. Yeah. And so Dan Wallace is an expert at being able to actually communicate with his audience and to get, and, and to get them on his side. So go ahead and play the next part.
1: Let's use money as an analogy. Let's say the average Duke graduate represents the average classical author. And he earns $20,000 a year. Now, it's a shame that that's below the poverty level. But he made a choice to go to Duke and he has to live it. Now, if the average Chapel Hill graduate represents the New Testament, she is earning $20 million a year. Skeptics repeatedly note that the vast majority of New Testament manuscripts come from at least 800 years after the completion of the New Testament. The implication they draw from this is that none of these manuscripts are trustworthy, and that the New Testament is in no better shape than the other ancient literature. But what they don't tell you is that these later manuscripts add only 2% of material to the text. Hmm. If we can envision the New Testament as a snowball rolling down a hill, picking up alien elements through the centuries, it is remarkable. That it only picks up two percent more material over 14 centuries. Imagine
4: You a
2: hear that? Broker That's crazy. So, so stuff. when when you are counting the copyist errors, when you when because you, uh, put yourself in the situation of these early scribes and people who weren't even experts in doing this, when when they um, are making copies. So, say for example, you're in a, you're in a situation where you're trying to make a copy of another document, right? and your eye maybe skips a line, right? Like you're, you're making the copy and your eye skips a line. Or perhaps the scribe actually was used to a text from Matthew. Luke's repeating something, and so what he does is he, he's familiar with the saying in Matthew, but he's copying Luke, and so he accidentally slips in a piece of Matthew while he's doing Luke. See how that actually occurs? He's putting the same text in from another gospel because he's familiar with the wording of that, so he slips in the wording a little bit Those when you have these texts moving through history, the amount of text that's being added is so minimal that you can wade through it very easily. And I think that's just such a powerful, powerful thing. Um, Listen, when someone tells you that we can't trust the New Testament documents, that the original New Testament is lost, they just simply do not know what they're talking about. And further, I'm going to let Randy speak here. He just popped in the studio further. You even have men like Bart Ehrman saying uh, on a popular atheist podcast that the New Testament isn't lost. You can get back to the originals through the transmitted text. He says, all we're doing at this point is tinkering. Yeah. He's one of the greatest skeptics and critics of the Bible, New Testament, that is alive today. He's the one that everyone uses and appeals to.
3: So The Book of Mormon's uh, relatively recent uh, authorship. So how much change has that gone
2: through? Say that one more time, sorry. So
3: Book of Mormon. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Recent authorship, yes. You know, you'd expect it to be fairly stable. How does that compare with the Bible?
2: So, when you look at the the Book of Mormon, Joseph Smith uh, is calls himself the author of that work. By the way, and the 1830 version, he publishes in 1830. From the 1830 version to today's version, it has undergone changes so many times with so many additions that there's about four thousand changes from the 1830 version. To today's version now here's what's interesting about that is that we actually have today i have a copy of it um the original autographa. Right. autographer in other words it's what joseph smith says this is the divine translation it's from his own hand he says here's the tr- here's the text itself i translated um, it's from God, the gift and the power of God. More perfect and book it, than It's more perfect than any book on earth and a man can get closer to God by obeying its precepts than any other book. 1830 version, that's, that's less than 200 years and 4,000 changes. And people say, well, they were like spelling errors and things like that. Well, I, I have a hard time understanding how the spelling errors are getting in there in a divinely inspired translation. However, it's not just spelling right. errors. You have doctrinal changes. You have very racist remarks being removed and sort of padded and softened. Um, There are dramatic changes. There are errors in the book of Mormon uh, errors regarding places that can contradict what the Bible actually says regarding say the birthplace of Jesus, those sorts of things. But in less than 200 years, you've got an original writing. Joseph Smith says, this is the word of God. And in 200 years, it's changed 4,000 times new Testament documents. You have all these transmitted texts from all over the empire with no controlling authority. And you're able to get through all those with the copyist errors Mm -hmm. To get back to what the original text says with no controlling authority, uh, it's phenomenal. It really is fantastic. Yes. Yes. <laughs>
0: so that's
2: uh, so just I, I just don't know anything about
0: this much. Like, yeah. I've heard a few stuff James White talks about, obviously. Right. So I'm just learning
2: from my pastor right now. Yeah. So that's what Amen. I wanted to point you to, guys. Where in to church. Just, to just a little surface level conversation. It's just the beginning. So, where should you go for more? Well, I would go and definitely check out Is the Original New Testament Lost? Dr. Bart Ehrman, Dr. Daniel Wallace, debating this issue. They've done it a couple times, so be cautious which one you are getting in terms of, like, the one I'm pointing you to is the the debate topic is Is the Original New Testament Lost? Um, So there's that one. But then you also want to go to Dr. James White, Dr. James White, Um, has debated many times on this subject, and he's also taught many times on it. So, dude, James White, is the Bible reliable? Is the New Testament reliable? James White, textual criticism, just Google that or YouTube that. You should be able to get a bunch of stuff that comes up, and it might help you a bunch. By the way, also a good um, start into this discussion would be, this is interesting, would be getting a copy of the King James Only Controversy by Dr. James White. The whole first half of that book is describing how we got our Bibles. Mm-hmm. So it's like an introduction to textual criticism. It's very important. Very cool. And uh, there you go. So we'll be right back, guys. There was a little textual criti- criticism for you guys. I got no sleep last night. My head's not connected right now. All right, guys. So that's the bear. We got Randy now. With the Kooji sweater on. Uh, that's right. Yes. The, that's a bit of a Coogee sweater. Yeah. A little bit different. Yeah. I like it. I like. It's always welcome here. All right, guys. Be right back, guys. ApologiaRadio.com.
3: I'm Nathan Bell. And I'm Greg Dutcher. Greg and I have the privilege of co-hosting These Go to 11 podcasts.
4: We cover everything from amillennialism to Zeus worship. See what I did there, bro? A to Z?
3: Yeah, but we do talk a lot about everything. Theology, movies, books, politics, and we have great guests on too.
4: Tim Chally, Stephen Altrogi, Dr. John Frame, authors that make us think.
3: And we're not afraid of controversy either. Calvinism and Arminianism, charismatic gifts. If it's a lightning rod... Then
4: we're going to set it high on the roof in a thunderstorm.
3: So join us each week. At least one new episode is released every Tuesday night after 10, because every episode goes to what, Greg? Oh, we'll just let Nigel say it. These go to 11... (laughs) <laughs> so I was wondering, like, what is took that me, it music? It took me a second. I
2: was like, yeah. why is Luke saying he's got, like, the cruise music? Perfect. It's just so, it's so perfect. It's great. Hey, by the way, Randy Linky joined us. Apology Radio. Yes, sir. He's our NPR, NPR voice. You might recognize him. That's correct. And uh, you're good for more than NPR. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so here we go. <laughs> Uh, Pasha Luke has uh, a clip he wants to play. This is from um, the Young Turks. Am I right? Am I right? Or right? Am uh, I yes. Right or right? Yep. Okay. The is. Young Turks, uh, you guys may uh, know them well. Uh, it's a pretty popular uh, YouTube channel. Uh, they're doing really well uh, in terms of subscribers and people watching their stuff. So the Young Turks is a YouTube kind of internet news source. And it's run by, oh, I'm going to mess his name up. I know it. Senk uh, it's C-E-N-K-U-Y-G-U-R. I know that I'm going to get smacked for this. <laughs> I, I'm supposed to know this. All right. Uh, so let me just, I, can I lay this down first, Luke? Do you mind it. If I do, this? do it to it. Okay, yeah, I'm going to lay this down. This is, uh, this is the, the, the host of that show, the Young Turks, um, gentlemen, and uh, speaking with uh, Sam Harris. Now, many of you guys know Sam Harris. Uh, is the one who wrote the book Letter to a Christian Nation I believe it is Sam Harris atheist uh, very popular kind of uh, in the atheist culture he's you know he's kind of a hero he's a priest of modern science uh, and uh, popular atheist anyway this is the two of them talking the host of the Young Turks and Sam Harris gives you a little context of his belief system so here we go
4: on the topic of religion I think we totally agree you're
6: against religion. I'm against religion. I'm against all the religions. You're against all the religions.
3: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. Great. I, mean, I think I, I know there are things we disagree about in that area, but yes, we we are both atheists by any reasonable definition.
0: Right. Uh, so.
2: There you go. Okay. Well, that was clear. That's (laughs) what he believes or where he's at. Um, That was the host of uh, The Young Turks talking to Sam Harris. Sam Harris, popular atheist, and says, you know, we're both atheists. He said, right. Okay. So here we go. Now, this is uh, the man who's a self-professed atheist and believes all religions are wrong, talking about somebody's religious beliefs. This is him talking about Ted Cruz? Yes, sir. Okay.
1: I'm told that Ted Cruz is a very religious man. Uh, I'm told that by Ted Cruz now does he actually honor those words though or is he a political slimeball who just uses religion as a prop so he can get gullible people to vote for him when in fact he has no intention of being a good christian or acting out any of the tenets of his faith well let's find out he's gonna go talk to uh, people who are very religious and they're gonna ask him about something that's a little problematic
3: for him let's watch you know there was that buzzfeed article that came out and Look, when I heard it was Buzzfeed, you know, it initially kind of blew it off, uh, a bit liberal. However, you read through the article, there are some pastors concerned about some of the tithing practices that you
0: had uh, back what in 2006 or t- 2010. They brought up a lot of these documents.
5: I want to give you a chance to address that. Listen, on the, on the question of tithing, uh, all of us are, are on a faith journey, and, and I will readily admit that, that that I have not been as faithful in this aspect of my walk as I should have been. Now, you know, that article focuses on 10 years ago. I don't have the ability to go back and change uh, what occurred ten years ago when Heidi and I were newly married and we we're just starting a family. Uh, but but you know, at the end of the day, being a Christian is not about holding yourself out as as righteous. It is about beginning with the, with the understanding that that we are flawed sinners and 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 we are saved not by deeds but but by Christ's redemption and and I am grateful that God is, is is a patient and forgiving God, and and, and this area, as many areas of my life, I am working uh, to do a better job, uh, walk, walking in my faith.
1: I love religious gobbledygook. Oh no, no, you don't! Don't judge me by my deeds, because I'm not saved by my deeds. I'm saved by uh, Jesus Christ doing something
2: a couple thousand years ago.
3: So, That's a pretty oh good no, testimony. Yeah,
2: That's, I know. That's, That's a good testimony. Yeah, he got it. it. I mean, he, well, yeah, good stuff. Yeah. Uh, so, that, well, way to go. Okay, so yeah. I, I don't know yeah, It's like,
0: it's like he, he gave a perfect answer.
2: <laughs> yeah. First off,
0: like, let's just be honest. It was CBN who was criticizing Ted Cruz for not tithing enough. So, <laughs> mm. if anybody's interested in how much someone ties, it would be CBN.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's true. So, um, Okay. So I'm glad that he caught, I'm glad that he caught the fact that Cruz was saying it's all through Jesus, only through Jesus. You're not supposed to hold yourself out there as righteous. Also, I, I if somebody asked me about my tithe, I would probably say I've wrecked a bunch of my past. God has, has changed me, transformed me, uh, but I'm not going to talk to you about what I do now. Mm-hmm. Because I am not going to lose my reward for the purposes of your political process. Right. <laughs> uh, no way. Uh, but I do, I do uh, find a lot of satisfaction, I hope, in the fact that um, this was a candidate who uh, clearly communicated the fact that we are saved through Christ's work and his work alone. And I'm glad that this uh, young atheist uh, understands it. I'm glad that he understands sure does. it. I'm glad he gets <laughs> <Yeah>. it. Uh, <laughs> go ahead.
4: Play more No, no. Uh just money oh. if you guys want to fill uh, in there. Well I just I think about this from this aspect. Here is a candidate who just won the caucus in Iowa, who could potentially be running for president. And the main this criticism that we have from this guy is a discussion that we should be having within the church. So I was kind of I was actually like encouraged by the fact that here is something that normally you only talk about with other believers and it's in the forefront, right? Like that means that our worldview is impacting the culture. hmm That's yeah. correct. Yeah. Randy's shaking his head at me.
3: No, he's nodding. His head nodding yes. Yeah, yes. I I'd agree with that. I, I, I keep thinking about the phrase, and such were some of you, mm-hmm. and it's like they want the labels to persist, whether the label is uh, gay or drunkard or you don't tithe. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. The label has to persist. Once <laughs> once you get that identity, they want you to stay there.
4: Yeah. And it's interesting, too, because he also said something about, like, he has no intention of living out his Christianity, you know. And, like, okay, so there's one thing that he's felt admittedly in the past, but to say that he has no intention of living out his Christianity and living like Christ and doing Christ-like things is a complete exaggeration and not even close to the truth.
2: Right. Yeah. Um the thing that would, that I, if I was to talk to this gentleman from the Young Turks, the thing I would, I would want to talk to him about is I would say, yeah, you probably can find a lot of inconsistencies in Ted Cruz. You're going to find a lot of inconsistencies in me. And I am glad that you recognize that the Christian message is that we are saved because of the work of Jesus Christ and, um, and him alone. Now, I would say to him, now, however, I do, I do actually want to talk and highlight the fact that you are repulsed by hypocrisy Right. because Jesus was too. Right. And if you read the Sermon on the Mount, that's what the Sermon on the, Mount, Sermon on the Mount is all about all the way through. It's like external moral behavior and codes, <laughs> apart from a heart that is sold out for God, is bankrupt, foolish, hypocrisy. Um, and I would say, so you will find the greatest friend in Jesus in terms of like uh, despising hypocrisy. But I would point out to this atheist, I would say you don't have any basis to despise hypocrisy. Mm. You, you can condemn religious people for their inconsistencies, but as an atheist, when you've rejected God, if that's where you truly are at now, you have no basis to be up in arms about hypocrisy. Nobody can be morally indignant about Christians being uh, moral failures when you, in fact tell people that we are all products of an evolutionary process that didn't mm. have us in mind. You can't be morally indignant. Don't you think it's funny? A lot of these new yeah. atheists, um, they've got like the kind of like moral uh, gauge that like an old Puritan has. I mean, they need to put like on white hair, hair <laughs> like little <laughs> blue suits and like really tighten up their, their, their pants. Like, you know, that there, there are like very indignant Puritans, at least the portrayal of the Puritans. That's how these, these new atheists act. Mm. But um, I think it's good. Marcus, I like it.
0: I, I like that kind of criticism against Christianity. Yeah. Like, that's the best kind. It's like, oh, mm. these guys believe that you can't be saved by your works.
2: Right. <laughs> right. You got him. You yeah. got him. Got, got him. him. Got him. <laughs> got him. <laughs> got him. So, uh, I think yeah. it's great. Yeah, so powerful stuff. All right, guys. So, uh, are we done for today, Marcus? No, we got one more segment. Okay, all right, guys. So, we'll be back, guys. Another segment on Apologia Radio. Hey, go to missionaware.com buy some cool t-shirts support yes, the people who support us I'm wearing Spurge,
4: Spurge today
2: missionalwear.com me too yeah,
4: yeah.
0: what's your shirt You're always wearing Spurge. I
2: got the cigar
0: Spurgeon that says I intend to smoke a good cigar unto the glory of God before I go to bed tonight
2: don't fear failure fear spending your life succeeding at things that really do not matter I like it. Visionalware.com. Nice. Don't forget to sign up for All Access, guys. ApologiaRadio.com. Marcus, you got to read some of those comments, man. Yeah, we'll do that when we come back. All right, be right back, guys. Hi, this is Jeff Durbin with Apologia Radio. You can get us at ApologiaRadio.com. I'm also the pastor at Apologia Church in Tempe. You can get us at ApologiaChurch.com. want to invite you guys to join us for worship, the word, and fellowship on Sundays at 4 p.m. And that's Joy Tembe. Hey there.
5: We are a family-integrated church, so we invite you to bring your whole family to worship with us.
4: This is Luke Pearson, the ministry Bear, also discipleship pastor at Apologia Church. Like Jeff mentioned, we are now meeting at a new location and time, 4 p.m. on Sunday afternoons at Arizona Community Church, That's 9325 South Rural Road in Tempe. We're meeting in the Community Center, and that is between Warner and Ray off of Rural. Again, you can reach us on them internets
2: at ApologyofChurch.com. Delicious beards are encouraged but not required. (laughs) Glory! Welcome back.
3: Out on the bus.
2: So one thing we this want to do more, trying to stay committed to doing it, is reading your comments, your input. I'd love it if you guys would participate in the show as often as possible by way of the comments on the iTunes, on the radio page, on Facebook, or by calling us on the glory line on the glory line I forgot all about <laughs> glory that glory line <laughs> we do what is the glory will. line uh, I forget okay he's, <laughs> gonna, he's gonna pull it up I'll right pull now it up, yeah. he'll pull it up right now but in the meantime um, while the boys get some comments we uh, asked you guys on our social media how has Apologias all access blessed you and your family and some of you guys left some great comments so we're gonna read some of those oh. Pastor Luke's gonna grab some comments from iTunes to read those Uh, But while they're doing that, I'm going to read one that was kind of a criticism. Uh Uh, I don't usually look through the comments on YouTube and Facebook. i want to keep my sanity intact, and so I try to avoid it. But uh, this one, I got alerted to it somehow, so I want to kind of respond to it on the air. I think it's worthy of it. Um, Branch of Hope Orthodox Presbyterian Church posted my sermon, Understanding Evangelism and Culture, uh, from the Bonson Conference in California. So it's up there right now. If you get a branch of hope on YouTube, Understanding Evangelism and Culture, I hope you guys get a chance to uh, to watch that one. It meant a lot to me. Anyway, so at, in the beginning of this, I told everyone at the Bonson Conference, and just for some background, Bonson was a uh, covenantal, um, post-millennialist, uh, theonomist, a presuppositionalist, this was a conference in memoriam, memorial of Dr. Greg Bonson. Uh, Dr. Greg Bonson actually co authored a book with Dr. Kenneth Gentry against dispensationalism. Uh, it's called House Divided The Breakup of Dispensational uh, Theology. And uh, I encourage you guys to get that. So, anyway, that's the context. So, at the beginning of this, I confess that I was a teenage dispensationalist. I went to a dispensational premillennial Bible college. Now, considering the room, considering the context, Considering the actual conference with Dr. Bonson, I said those things, you have to forgive me for being a premillennial dispensationalist. Everyone kind of got a good laugh, and I moved on. Were you a Teenage Mutant Ninja Dispensationalist? Uh, I, I I think I actually was when I was doing Ninja Turtles, yes. Uh, so this uh, brother says on the YouTube video, he says, he quotes me, it was also a dispensational pre-millennial Bible college, please forgive me. He says, I like Jeff Durbin sincerely. But he's a jerk about dispensationalism. And I've heard his arguments against it and they aren't any more compelling than the arguments against his position. He built his whole argument on the foundation of the This Generation passage, Matthew 24 and its parallels, thinking it is so plain that doing so makes sense. But then he has to do mental gymnastics to get around other equally plain verses that had he chosen them as his foundation would have required mental gymnastics to get around Matthew 24, 34. Alright, so... Uh, let me address that. Let me first and foremost say, if you are dispensational, premillennial, in your view, um, I absolutely respect you and love you. Some of my, my wow. some of my heroes of the faith <laughs> are dispensational premillennial men that I respect mm-hmm. greatly. Um, I disagree with the system entirely, completely. As someone that came out of it, I disagree with the system. I held to it for dear life. I believed it with all my heart. I taught it to others. I went to Bible college and learned it. I was a fiend about it. And after getting into the scriptures, I really felt like I had put into the text of God's word a system that didn't belong there. Now, does that mean that I want to go on the attack against dispensationalists personally? No. No, I don't believe that's how you win debates over what is biblical. I believe you critique the system. Uh, Was it a little bit of a jab at the conference? Yeah, it was a playful jab at the system itself. Uh, but not against the dispensationalists. So I've got nothing but love for my dispensational premillennial brothers and sisters in Christ. Uh, we've had many of them on the program over the years and have solid respect for them, do not believe or ultimately respect the system itself. And I will say this in response to him saying postmillennialism's arguments are based upon this generation of Matthew 24, uh, I want to point you to the fact that there are postmillennialists in history that are, are not preterists.
3: So, big word. Help us out there.
2: Preterist is uh, means past and fulfillment. Uh, there are there are postmillennialists uh, that are postmillennialists based upon the whole text of God's word and many scriptures throughout Old and New Testaments that are not based postmillennialism upon Matthew twenty four. By the way, Matthew twenty four is the text about the Great Tribulation. The Great Tribulation. That's about the tribulation about what's coming upon the first century Jews from my perspective. Uh, in Matthew 24, that has nothing to do ultimately with the kingdom of the Messiah as promised as victorious in the world. That's a specific, a specific context about the tribulation in the first century, the destruction of the Jewish temple, the persecution that was then coming before they all died. Uh, so I find it hard to believe that you spend a lot of time listening to my explanation of post-millennialism, although there are countless hours online um, about it. Uh, I have never based my... Um, my uh, belief in postmillennialism on this generation in Matthew 24. I'd encourage you to do a little more research and uh, l- take a little more of an honest attempt at understanding. Uh, I point you guys to um, our app. We have an app apology at church available on Google play or the iTunes store on the app apology at church. There is um, segments or sections there of series that we've done. There is a series there called askaton. That's a kind of a preliminary basic snapshot of postmillennialism. There's also tons of content on YouTube of me talking about postmillennialism, the victory of Jesus, and there are tons of episodes on Apology Radio where we talk about the kingdom of Jesus and His victory Lots. in the world. Yeah, uh, Matthew 24 fulfilled, great book, John Bray. Yep, awesome America vision. It's awesome. Matthew yep. 24 fulfilled. That is about the great tribulation, not necessarily postmillennialism. I would point this person to the fact that there are amillennialists as well as post-millennialists who see Matthew 24 as past and fulfillment. Amillennialists don't use Matthew 24 as a basis of their system and neither do post-millennialists. It has its own particular purpose and context and I'd say the subject is much, much broader and larger and has to do with a lot of texts from scripture um, that I think are unavoidable. That's why I'm post-mill. Um, okay. Marcus! Yes! Marcus, tell us what everyone thinks about Apology All Access. Okay. man.
0: so these are comments from our All Access subscribers. Which, by the way, if you don't know, you can sign up for All Apology All Access for a seven ninety five donation. And when you do that, people still don't know what it is. So <laughs> let's let's. This is it. All right, tell your friends. You get every episode of Apology of TV we've done. I think we're up to like twenty seven TV shows. The after shows that we do afterwards, and the Apology All. Uh, Access Academy, which we just finished on Mormonism and presuppositional apologetics, and uh, we're about to do John Sampson's Reformed Theology yeah. Seminary. Yes, so that'll be awesome. You're in for a treat. And then so 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 that that that's essentially the three major things. And I have been asked by our Apologia Forum they want the All Access subscribers to participate more in the forum because they really like the forum, but there's not a lot of people really going there, so maybe they just don't know. When you log in to Apologia All Access, uh, it'll show you the newest forum posts, and you can go there, and there's the All Access members want to meet other All Access members, and they have theological conversations and share good websites and resources. There's a lot of stuff on there. It's amazing. So go on the forum, get to know everybody say who you are where you're from uh and just talk about theology and stuff uh with with other with other people you can talk about the show and whatnot so the question is i ask people on facebook is how has apology all access benefited you and i have some comments to read all about that they give us our names too yeah so uh this is from michael holt who's an all access subscriber he says my wife and I have been on the fence about homeschool for a while. My son Jonas will be eight years old in a few days. We took him out of public school just before Thanksgiving. Apologia Radio gave us the motivation... To go ahead and start homeschooling. It's been great. Yeah. When we asked Jonas if he wanted to go back to public school, he said firmly no. Yeah. He loves learning Bible verses that are included in his lesson.
2: Yeah. Praise God. That's awesome. So, Win. Hashtag yeah. change everything. <laughs> Even education. Even yes, education. Yeah. So uh, another one is
0: uh, uh, from Barbara Jane Anderson. She says, after listening to one episode of Apologia Radio, I immediately became an all-access member. The, manner, yeah, the manner in which the hosts interact and the knowledge of life application, scripture, theology, apologetics, and more was the most honest and unashamed delivery I've ever heard within a public venue. It inspired me to want to learn more and more. Their example of reaching out and actually getting out in the world has convicted me as being the lazy and cowardly person I am. Oh. I trust in their faithfulness and am thankful for their ministry every day. Wow, awesome. that Thank was you.
2: really a blessing. Goodness. goodness, I think that was too high a re- uh, too high of a review. I don't know <laughs> if we're worthy of all that. Yeah,
0: so here's Seriously. one actually. I'm going to read Michael Cantrells, who was just on our show. Okay. He wrote one. He's an apology radio. Has completely changed my life and has been a blessing from God in countless ways. I'm a conservative political writer who is searching for biblical answers to current political issues and cultural engagement. I always believed we should be engaged, but didn't have a solid biblical foundation to support the view. Apologia introduced me to theonomy, which I struggled with and wrestled through, and now have that foundation along with a deeper love of God's law. Now I'm immersing myself in deep study of theonomy and postmillennialism, taking what I learned and applying it to my writing work seeking to use my skill to take dominion for jesus my family and i watch apologia together around lunchtime just about every day even my four-year-old son enjoys it thank you for this ministry awesome so so awesome that's why we came up with a hashtag change everything yeah because it changes how uh if you have apology all access it's changing how people are are looking at scripture yeah And how they apply scripture to all areas of life, education, politics,
2: everything. Yeah. Wow, guys, that really—that seriously is a blessing to hear. Definitely don't feel worthy of any of that, guys, but we appreciate it. Yeah, so just
0: encourage you, if you have Apology All Access, uh, let people know about it. Tell people what it is. Uh, Feel free to talk to me on ways we can help you share it with other people. Uh, Some people have asked... If uh, they can share it in their like share a video in their Sunday school class, and I say, of course, yeah,
2: you know, absolutely. Of, course. So, of course, absolutely,
0: yeah. So if you have Netflix and you showing a movie with friends or a church with Netflix, not everybody has to have right. Netflix. So it's a good way, actually. I'll just say this is a good way to advertise what we do to your friends and family. So if you you don't have to ask me. So just yeah, if yeah. you if you want to show it to people at your church or something, go ahead. Yeah. So yeah. yeah.
2: All right, Pastor Luke, what's up on iTunes? Um,
4: Before I read that, can we talk about ReformCon real quick? Oh! Because... Yes. That would be be kind uh, of important, yeah. Tickets available By the time this drops, yes, yes, the
2: tickets are available now. ReformCon.org. ReformCon.org. Who's speaking there? Uh, Me? (laughs) Uh, Dr. James White, John Sampson, Dr. Scott Oliphant, Uh, Kenneth Talbot uh, Vocab Malone I know you're speaking Marcus Uh, I'm sure a bunch of us uh, we have more speakers uh, we're lining up really between now and then June 1st through 4th at Arizona Community Church in Tempe, Arizona you go to reformcon.org and you guys get your tickets right now there's an early bird special you get your early bird special, you get a lower price and you get some goodies We'll announce those later. You get some goodies, some cool things. ReformCon.org. We're teaming up with the Reform Pubcast. It's the Reform Pubcast. To uh, do this conference, <laughs> and uh, yeah, did I say it like this? I think that you did. It's the Reform
0: Pubcast. Cheers and amen. Cheers and amen. I'm blessed. I'm Taylor.
2: I'm going <laughs> <out> to <of> the <laughs> Reform Pubcast. Oh, we're gonna um, get in trouble yeah, now. Yeah, oh, I goodness God. gracious. So, uh, yeah, so we're gonna have them on the show too. Yeah, to we talk will. about we the will. conferences I So, so. we'll be doing a uh, bunch of stuff getting ready for guys. Reform Pubcast and Apology Radio teaming up for Reform Con 2016. ReformCon.org.
4: Yes, thank you. Yeah. I just thought about that. Okay, so here's uh, a lot of new comments. I'll just kind of pick through some of these. This one, the subject just says Mr. With five stars. Uh, All right. From R. Detmer 13. The line of fire, the divine line, and now or Radio, the perfect trifecta. This is the radio show the Holy Spirit would listen to.
2: I don't know. <laughs> okay, uh, that, we are getting way too high of praise. Yeah. That praise is a little. Beyond I'm starting not to believe any of it. Yeah. I think this show is terrible. I think that that's a, somebody inserted that. That's a, <laughs> uh, oh man. Totally. Carmen, are you are you on iTunes picking up a cow? Car,
4: Carmen's no, bumping uh, our iTunes stats. Yeah, right. Comments. She said because these guys definitely help shed light on truth and understanding of the real gospel. Plus, who doesn't want to listen to ninjas, bears, and ginger kings? Keep up the good work, y'all. Awesome. You know what's funny? My five-year-old started saying y'all now because of us, which is weird. Nice. Yeah. Well, we just anyways. say it in the South all the time anyway, I know, but that's, so. Yeah. She's just funny like that. It was like, it was like windy the other day. She's like, oh, man, it's windy, y'all. It was like just me in the car. Uh, anyways, um, next one. Crazy good for the mind. By TE310 Apology Radio taps into that part of the brain That makes you think It expands your mind to where you come away With knowledge of Christianity Smart conversation and fun to listen to Worth listening to at least once If not 100 times over Thank you, praise God um, There's one in here I saw I'm going to get to That has a critique This one, next one says These men have beards it's true. Yes. By Uncle Buddy Bones. Now
2: that, now that review is true. <laughs> that name is yeah. great.
4: That is a this true is review. This the best name. Uncle Buddy Bones. Uh, growing a beard is a habit most natural, scriptural, manly, and beneficial.
2: That's Chuck Spurgeon.
4: C.H. Spurgeon, enough said. <laughs> um, okay, this is one. It says, great content, just one critique. Four stars by uh, Chaldean Elvis. <laughs> I wonder if this is a Size Buddy Elvis. I don't know. what What is the critique? He says, I really enjoy the show, and over the past year or so, it has caused me to rethink certain areas of theology. My one <laughs> critique is the amount of joking and unrelated conversation. Oh, <laughs> man. When I tune in to hear a show about Mormonism, guys, I have to be honest, it takes about 15 minutes of jesting and joking before uh-huh. you get to the content. That's
2: correct. Uh-huh. And that is on purpose. <laughs> um. But when you get
4: to the content, is tremendously edifying. Right now, I think mm-hmm. the ratio of joking... To content, is, You guys are having too much fun. Wait, wait. Yeah. wait. The ratio of joking to content is 80-20. Ah. Uh, even if you change it to 50-50, that would be okay. But honestly, 20% or less of the show spent on joking would be more ideal. Nothing wrong with joking around, but you guys...
0: Yeah, I don't think that's true. There is
4: some God-given talent in this <laughs> studio, and trust me when I say this, people would enjoy the show more if there were, if there was more time spent on substance, even though Jeff said in recent podcasts that people... Find it boring, trust me, we wouldn't.
0: Oh hey, hey man. Does that guy go and complain that Star Wars doesn't have enough theology in it and he just spent two hours you know, watching a movie know. that was just entertaining?
5: I
2: don't yeah, know. see here's the thing, guys. I want to talk about it real fast because if you're still listening to the show right now or doing the comments, something's keeping you hooked. So <laughs> <Yeah>. uh, <laughs> let me let me let me explain. Um the the dividing line, excellent theological show. It's all theology. You need to you need to get on you need to get on that. Um, there are fantastic shows that are all theology, like the White Horse Inn is a popular show, theological discussion. Don't agree with everything those guys talk about, but it's a good show on all straight theology. Reform Forum, another excellent, excellent resource you guys need to make sure you have uh, in your subscription. We wanted Apology Radio to be a show that you can turn on and you could kind of check out for a bit, have fun, forget your day, laugh a little bit. Learn, learn a little bit about cultural events, learn about applying scripture, get a theological education um, on, on a very strong level, and uh, just kind of walk away refreshed, where it's not like you feel like you're walking into a seminary classroom, you feel like you're coming to sit down on a coffee table, next to a coffee table, with us. That's what we wanted to do. So we want to have fun. Yeah. We just do. Yeah. And uh, we want to do it in a way that's engaging and faithful theologically. So that's just what Apologia Radio is. I can tell you this much. We're not changing it. Uh, <laughs> it's more of a morning zoo meets a theological show. That's the theme of our show. That's what we've always wanted. That's what a lot of people love. That's what we're going to keep doing. I hope that you guys stay tuned for the theology because it's always going to be a part of what we're doing. Uh, but we want to ha- we want to do this show in a way where it can compete with what the world produces in terms of entertainment, but we want to do it as Christians. So mm-hmm. there you go. Yeah. Yes. Hey,
0: let me just encourage people to make sure that you... Uh, re- leave a review on iTunes because that really bumps us up. We're trying to be Joel Osteen, man.
4: Oh, yeah. So, Amen.
0: So so leave a comment. That helps. The more comments and five-star ratings the podcast has, the higher it ranks up there. So go on there, iTunes. Let's try to knock Joel Osteen off his podium. Amen.
2: But I will say, Chaldean Elvis, thanks, man. Yeah. Thanks for the comment. We do appreciate your input. We love it. Um, We're just not going to listen to that one. (laughs) 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 But I love you. Uh, And I I can tell you this. Like, uh, a couple weeks ago, we had uh, Dr. Dr. Edward Get-Dalcour on. That show was, like... Thick. Thick and rich and heavy. And I want to make sure that people get a good blend of fun entertainment, casual conversation, and deep theological content. And so if you want some deep theology... You need to listen to that show. That was fantastic. Edward Dalcor is one of my favorites. So go check it out. It's on Jehovah's Witnesses. We love you. Thank you, Elvis, for the comment. You know, and, and you uh, know sorry. Uh, you know what's funny
4: about that show? What is? I don't know if you caught it. At some point, he was like, "Well, I don't want to spend like too much, like getting too heavy into like the Greek and stuff." And then he went on like a Greek tirade <laughs> for like twenty yeah, minutes. He did. It was awesome. He did. Sorry, Marcus. Go I ahead. was just going
0: to say that if you have all access or you watch our show on NRB TV, that the TV show itself is very geared towards one topic, and there's not a lot of time for joking around. So that's a really good place just for very uh, narrow topics that, that, that a lot of people have enjoyed
2: that... From there. Yeah, yeah. no, that's it's just true. really weird. The music just cut out while yeah. I was talking. I, I, so. I was, it, was on, it was my fault. <laughs> so I, was, I was getting ready to end the show here. So, okay. Um, Yeah, no, that's a good point. If you guys want to see me squirm, <laughs> yes, watch the TV show. Yeah, it's an actual TV show with video, yeah. by the way. A lot of people don't know that. If you want to see me squirm, watch the TV yeah. show because it's me trying to not go squirrel <laughs> for eight minutes yeah 10 minutes and eight minutes i hate it eight minutes i gotta try not to get off topic it's all if so if you like that elvis apology of tv that's your thing man there you go all right
4: you know what's amazing what is we've been getting a lot of people lately that have found us on youtube and they're like hey, no nothing about the radio show i know <laughs> it's so weird I I'm know. like they're like we have more stuff and i'm like have you heard of the radio show so like no and i was like we have, like, 30 episodes on that subject. Yeah. And they're like, oh, are you serious? This, dig deep, I don't understand.
2: Go to the archives. Dig deep. ApologiaRadio.com. Go get the archives. Seriously, you got to listen to some of the first shows. They're crazy. Like, they're seriously crazy. One in particular. I think it's one of the first five shows. You'll, you'll know when you hear it. It is so off the wall. We had to take, like, a, a moment, like, during the break to, like, this catch our... Doug Giles. Doug Giles. We had to take a breath. Because it completely threw us. We we're in the studio. Our studio tech's jaw was on the floor. Our jaws were on the floor. It took us a while to get out of that because Doug Giles, he's on Fox News all the time. Crazy episode. Go listen to that. Apologia Radio. I had to take a shower because I sweat so much from that episode. <laughs> yeah, you were sweating. <laughs> he was sweating so mad. All right, guys. Thank you again for listening. Thank you for partnering with us. We love you guys. We're grateful for you. Steady Randy, sir. Thank you. Yes. Luke the Bear. Peace out. King Ginger, I'm here. All right, y'all. Catch you next time. What's up, y'all? This is Jeff Durbin with Apologia Radio at ApologiaRadio.com. Want to talk to you guys about an amazing connection that we have right now with Whitfield Theological Seminary. I want you to run over to whitfield.edu, whitfield.edu, w-h-i-t-e-f-i-e-l-d.edu. I want you to check out the programs they have. They have undergraduate programs at Whitfield College, and they also have Whitfield Theological Seminary for the graduate degree and above and beyond. I, I think you'll really be impressed with the rigorous nature of the classes The consistent biblical worldview taught and adhered to. I want you to contact Whitfield Theological Seminary at whitfield.edu. Get a hold of our friend, Dr. Kenneth Talbot, and start your classes today. ApologiaRadio.com